Welcome to the Empowered with Marcos podcast. I'm your host, Marcos Hurtado, and my intention with this show is to share my knowledge, wisdom, and experiences to develop your mind, body, diet, and soul in an educational and entertaining manner. These episodes will consist of my own stories and talks, along with interviews with some of the great minds and souls that are part of my life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Yo, welcome to the Empowered and Marcos podcast. And for today's episode, we got a part two with the homie Matthew. I know, I know I got some good feedback from the first episode, so we had to bring him back for the second one. He has plenty of stories to share. And also, a main focus we want to focus on today is, and I'm going to say it the third time, but focus, being um, committed, just having luck in, into whatever you're doing. Because a lot of times nowadays in society, there's so much external stimuli, overthinking that goes on that, that makes us distracted all the time. That's why we, we like, our generation has so much anxiety because we're constantly being distracted and we have so much trouble focusing on what we're doing. So Matthew, again, well, welcome back to the podcast. And what's your, uh, your insight when it comes to focus? Well, first, Marcos, thank you for having me back on the podcast. It was a lot of fun the first time. And you know, I did get a few, uh, bit of good feedback from a few other people. So, you know, it's nice to do it again. So it's going to be fun. I know we got a lot to talk about. And man, the focus, I guess the first way, first thing I want to say about focus to kind of, I guess, set the tone a little bit is the way I've always looked at it. And I have it written right here. The way I look at it is focus is the frequency you need to attract the result you want. Mm -hmm. um, when you're focused, that means you're locked in. And what I also think about focus that usually doesn't get quite attached to it in the same, quite the same way is a lot of times when you're focused, to me, you're visualizing along with it, you know, and that's visualization is so powerful. Um, I think it's one of the most uh, common traits I've seen across successful people. You'd be surprised how many people you hear their stories. Like, did you ever hear Jim Carrey's uh, $10 million check he wrote to himself. I think he wrote that before he blew up and then he yeah. just like put it right there so you could see it all the time. That way you could like, you know, put in the work and actually like make that money and like not just make the 10 million, but you know, more than that as well. Yeah. And visualization is kind of like the placebo effect in a way, you know, mm -hmm. it's causing you, um, it's just a focus, you know, to put your mind on that intent. Uh, so, you know, visualization is crazy. Kobe talked about it in that documentary news. I brought that up to you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see that his focus, he said, and you see a lot of these great people, they didn't just get there. Their vision, it wasn't random. Kobe even said when he was a kid, he watched all these videos. He didn't have a lot of friends. His dad was always bouncing around teams. So he watched these videos, old school videos by himself, how to develop more skills. And he said, when he got drafted by the Lakers, he's like, it was a dream come true because every time I fantasized as a kid, everything I pictured myself doing was me wearing a Lakers uniform, mm. you know? And Jim, Jim Carrey, the specifics more behind that check, he, it was maybe five years or so many years before he got the Mask movie, which was his big breakout $10 million gig. He wrote himself a check for $10 million. And he's like, I'm giving myself this X amount of years to make it happen mm -hmm. and he made it happen or when you watch ellen degeneres new stand-up special during this part i didn't know and i rewound it i don't know how many times because the energies he said it with something that's grabbed me but ellen 
said Ellen was the first woman to get called up on the couch in the Johnny Carson show in the 80s, mm. which if you're familiar with the Carson show, that was the big deal for the comic to get called over to the couch to sit with Carson. Mm-hmm. If they didn't get called, that means he didn't quite like them. Mm. So she said when she was a kid in her basement, she was going through these weird times and never quite done stand-up comedy before. She's like, I was in my basement. She was like doing these jokes. And I told myself in that basement, I'm going to be the first woman to ever sit on the couch with Johnny Carson. And it, as soon as she said that, she's like, and then this ma- many years this happened. She points up to the screen and it shows her being the first woman. So that focus, when you're focused, it puts a vision in your head that sends it out to the universe. And it's really that vision, that focus that's attached to that vision that really makes things happen. Mm. So um, i got two questions for you. One, did you write a $10 million, $10 million check for yourself? And two, what's a, a story, a personal story from your, from your uh, own life when you apply visualization and you actually saw things like manifest in real life and also what actions you took to make that happen as well. Cause you know, we still gotta take action on these things. Oh, oh, definitely. You're absolutely right. The action is definitely, you know, this, that's definitely part of it because you can visualize everything you want, but of course the action. Um, I think a couple examples, there's some that are more direct and others that are not direct. Um, for example, stand up comedy. I've been doing that for 11 years. That was something I visualized about, oh, sorry, hold on, not visualized, more daydream in a non-serious mm-hmm. way throughout my life. Because stand-up comedy, I watched as far back as I can remember as a kid. It was my go-to if I was feeling down, some of the you know, first heartbreaks you have in life when you're learning how to deal with those things. Stand-up comedy, Comedy Central, when they actually showed stand-up comedy and not know <laughs> all day. And, um, and, but then throughout the years, I found myself daydreaming about it. And here's the thing about visualizing, even if it's not always directly intent on that, but something's in your head, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've seen it even with my evolution of comedy. And I think this is a key note to say too, because when you're pursuing anything, trying to acquire skills that are intangible type, you can't always like confidence, layers of confidence. I would tell myself throughout my time doing comedy, I need to get better with this area, this area. When I got into stand-up comedy, I knew I didn't have a unique voice. There's some guys that step on stage and their voice can carry them in a lot of ways, you know? But I didn't have that, so I was like, I gotta work on my material. I got to develop this. I didn't quite always know how to, you just had to get up there and keep doing it. But there were certain things that always fed in my head, and now, 11 years later, I'm doing those things. Something happened along the way where my subconscious knew that's what we're working on. I'll get you there, you know? So uh, so from the little things of evolving with the comedy or daydreaming about it, to me, stand, bro, like when I do the Ontario Improv, when I step on the little steps to go up there, I remember the times years before I ever went to do comedy. I was out in that same auditorium watching my favorite comics. Mm-hmm. I used to wait out two hours in front to be the first in line to see Mike Epps, um, you know, be excited when they're making fun of me in the first row right there. And now it's like I'm standing on that same stage that I, you know, the same green room restroom that Dave Chappelle was probably using, you know, and, and, and it's weird. So it's like, I've seen him come long ways and then other shorter things, you know, like there's, um, I'm not gonna go too far into specifics of it, but I have my definite chief aim written down on a piece of paper, what I want out of life, how I'm going to get there, the traits I need to have it. And I've now seen over the last, uh, year with the roles I'm in 
Um, a lot of that, those goals have to be with leadership and being in a position of leadership and mm -hmm. being able to express my voice. And here I am now in the high desert, like we talked about last time with the roles that I'm in. It, it's, I'm like, wow, I'm in these roles now, the roles that I've been wanting, trying to manifest, being able to go to schools and talk to kids and uh, be able to cook and pioneer this nutrition like we were talking about. It's, those are things I have been focused on trying to make happen. And, you know, it, but like you said, it's the action. It's when you get an opportunity, being prepared for it. You know, we talked about the time management last time. So it's, it's putting that visual in your head. And it, like you said, action. If it's really what you're passionate about, you won't even have to think about the action. Mm -hmm. That'll just follow with the vision. So um, that's kind of a few examples in a way. Of course, there's more, but in a nutshell, you know. Definitely. Yeah, something too is uh, acquiring skills. Because a lot of times we get caught up with just the learning aspect of it, but actually practicing and taking action and sharpening your skills is a massive, massive, massive contribution to actually, you know, fulfilling the goals and actually staying focused. Like, for example, is um, I shared this a few times already, but it took me years to learn how to speak. It took me years to learn how to actually turn on a mic, look at a camera and talk without hesitation. As a kid, I was sheltered. I didn't have that many kids. I mean, I didn't have that many friends because I was always just sheltered as a kid and I was socially awkward and I just didn't know how to talk. So thankfully, I didn't have to unlearn a lot of things, but at the same time, I had to learn a lot, sharpen a lot of skills, be comfortable with myself, be confident with myself. And that takes years and years of patience and keyword focus because I could have easily gotten distracted. I could have easily given up. And again, I'm not that special, not at all. It's just that I just chose to take action, chose to do this. Anyone that's able is capable of doing this. Anyone. It's just that a lot of times, like I said before, is we, we could get distracted and fall off track or become demotivated. So let me just be the voice to say that, just focus, that's it. Stay on track, just get the right accountability partners and just stick to it, adapt to the changes, that's it. Oh, and take responsibility. Don't, yes, don't blame. <laughs> too, yeah. too much blaming nowadays. Hell no. And then uh, not to get political, but yeah, a lot of times people want to blame like people in quote unquote power. I'm like, nah, don't blame the yeah. people in power. Take control of what you can. And that's it. Simple as that. No, oh, I love that. I'm the same approach, you know, mm -hmm. oh, and, and focus a lot of times, you know, you mentioned confidence and we're talking about, we both public speak, you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, public speaking, you know, the focus on that, you have to be confident. And I tell people what, you know, there's obviously people I love public speaking. I've never been, there's people built different too. I've never been quite a, too nervous, even when I first started, um, you know, but the, here's the thing, as I tell people, when you go up there to talk in front of people, there's two perspectives you can either take. Mm -hmm. Are you afraid? Or are you ready to have fun? Like mm -hmm. there's nothing in front of people. Like if you have an opportunity to be in front of people, Perfect example. So IHP, where I do my cooking demos. And I think this is one of the biggest things that led to my gig as the cooking, because I was working out of their building for another company that was stationed out of there. Mm -hmm. And there was a day we had to do a presentation for community partners. Mm -hmm. uh, there was four of us that worked out of their company. So each one of us had to do a 10 minute presentation, which for me, 10 minutes is fast. I've done I've done an hour of comedy at a dive bar. So, you know, if I'm up 10 minutes, we'll fly when I'm talking. And it feels like a couple sentences. So um, I go, uh, so I go up there. Well, before I go up there, mm -hmm. a couple of other people from the other organizations, they're nervous. They're like, 
there's a hundred people here. And this is perspective. To me, I'm telling people perspective is life, owning the space. Anytime you do something, just own it and finding the value of what you're gonna, the opportunity you have in front of you because I hear these other people say, oh, there's a hundred people here, they're nervous. But my mindset was, this is not just a hundred people here. This is a hundred leaders of the community. These were people that ran nonprofits and worked for nonprofits. So that was my perspective. That was opposite. I was like, of course I have experience speaking, but I'm like, I have a chance to step in front of a hundred people and bro, I went on a rally the troops type of like, I went up there and told everybody, I was like, just like, look, this, like just one, I don't remember what I was saying, but just telling them how we need to use this place. We never had a building like this. Mm-hmm. I told them how, the people that were stationed next to us used to be a phone call. We had no idea who they were. Now we work next to them and see how happy they are. You know, I was just going on and just rallying the troops to use this. And everybody was like, I love your speech. And so, you know, that was me owning the space and understanding, look at the opportunity. Why be afraid of this? Like embrace it. Like you have a chance to inspire people. So, you know, that's the thing too. That that's where the confidence, you know, comes. You have to be confident. Of course it grows the more you do things like, you in your training and your speaking, you see that you unlock layers. This confidence isn't just one layer. It's got tremendous amounts of layers. And you know, more and more you do something, and I've noticed that with my comedy. I'm more comfortable acting things out before, you know, where I wasn't before. Is this gonna make me look goofier? Then you know, there's a lot of things that go on in your head. So, mm-hmm. you know, I tell people when you go out there to speak or whatever you go to do. Don't be afraid. Have fun with it. You know, that that's and that's where the focus will kick in. When you're afraid, there's no focus. <laughs> like you, you can't focus when you're afraid. Like you just that's flight kicking in and just saying, Hey, I don't want part of this, you know. So gotta own the space whenever you do anything. Very, very well said. And um I won't butcher what Tony Robbins said, but he said something along the lines of um anxiety and excitement. You feel the same sensation in your body. Like if when you get excited, you feel like anxiety, pretty similar sensations, but just as it's a matter of just redirecting your perspective, like you were saying. And of course it takes time to learn that because that is a way how I like heal from anxiety. That'd be a whole nother episode, but that is something <laughs> I did use to heal from anxiety. And yeah, just switching your perspective whenever you feel the sensations, because they're very similar between feeling anxiety and feeling excited. And um, you're absolutely right about, um, owning the space and just enjoying the process because uh, the times that I speak or even like when I record a podcast, like you know, before we start, we hit record is I always have to go to, have to go to a restroom beforehand because I feel like I just cleaned out all the, uh, all the nervousness, the anxiousness. I just feel like I just let it out. I'm like, all right, yeah. I'm ready. Hit record. I'm like, let's go. Or you just grab the <laughs> mic, go on stage. Let's go. And just, Share the message out there. And um, yeah, dude, I'll try to be ready with all these bees somewhere. They can't see it, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, it's just uh, just having like pre-speaking rituals or finding like the inner power within you to be able to just be able to speak on the mic and just let the message out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's uh, and you're going to get, you know, whether people, whatever people are doing. And I think the one thing people get afraid of, too, and why it's, uh, you know, people want to get. It's weird. People want to get better in life. Mm-hmm. They always want easy ways or they don't want to go through the process. And getting better <laughs> is not a fun process, whatever you do. Stand-up mm-hmm. comedy, you know. And there's things I've, I've done along the way to, to take the uncomfortableness head on. One example is there was an open mic in my town the first year I started doing stand-up comedy. Um, I wasn't going to do the open mic, mic that night. I was not happy with the venue person who ran the show. I think they didn't pay me for the regular book show I did or something. But mm. my buddy was hosting the show. 
whatever. I'll come support you. And while I was there, there was a group of like 20 something hip hop dudes that were taking their turns to go up that night. No, all the comics were bombing. There's open mic comics, plus nobody there cared about the comedy. Mm. And I go to my buddy while I was seeing comic after comic bomb, and I tell him, hey man, I'm gonna go up. He's like, what, why? And I'm like, cause I'm gonna bomb. Like I, it, I, I, I did I, not one thought in my head said, I'm gonna get these crowd, I'm gonna make them laugh. My, I went up there and owned the space in terms of knowing that I wasn't really going to like, you know, I was like, let's go bomb, let's get this feeling in. Let's, you know, and that, even in that confidence, I tell some, I tell comics this, this is the power of confidence. Mm -hmm. If you go on stage, and this is this related to anything, but especially comedy is what I tell other comics a lot. If you go on stage and you are confident, you deliver your comedy with confidence, but they don't find it funny, you're not going to be looked at as a goofball or as an embarrassment, or it's not going to be awkward. Mm -hmm. It's awkward when you go up there and you don't own the space and you and everybody could feel it and see it. That's what's mm -hmm. uncomfortable. But if you walk away, you know, and just or even in terms of actually and heckling, you know, like I never I really get heckled because I don't feed into it. I don't mess with the audience. But here's an example of confidence that just people don't know what to do with it sometimes. Mm -hmm. I was at a show years ago. I was wrapping up a set, having a good set. Big guy off to the side. Uh, I say, hey, I'm about to wrap up my set and get out of here. Guy off to the side is like, good. So obviously he must not have been enjoying what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at him. I was like, really, bro? I was like, that's how you came to a comedy show? That kind of attitude? And I was like, just, I was like, if you didn't like me, I was like, you could have taken this time to go to the restroom, to go outside, have a cigarette. I was like, I wouldn't have cared one bit what you did. And I turned back and started rolling into my jokes. And I was going into a joke about how I'm not a fan of technology. Mm -hmm. So when I say that, I was like, I'm not a fan of technology just like this guy over here and I look and I point at him. I was like, just like, he's not a fan of me. And that guy never said another word. And I had people even come back in the audience. They're like, dude, you just shut that guy up because I hit him with confidence. I don't care. Like you're trying to, like, it didn't rattle me. And he, he, you know, people in that situation, they're trying to rattle you. They do it for a reason. So, you know, just being confident, owning the space, whatever you do, even if you don't feel comfortable inside, you got to make it look comfortable on the outside, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was just jealous of the attention because everyone was sitting down looking at you. He was like, you know what? I want some of that too. He was like, give me that attention. That's basically what a lot of like what the hecklers do. They just want a piece of the spotlight. They want their little 15 seconds of attention. Not even fame, of attention. And uh, of course, he failed miserably. <laughs> you own your shit, which is what matters. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't care. But no, you're right. They want attention. And uh, those are people who just who aren't confident in life. They're insecure. They, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the thing, you know, like, you know, a lot of those types of people do, especially with dating and things, they go after insecure. They go after the confident ones or the ones with the, the good energy and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> whole nother episode for you. <laughs> that's on the, that's on the uh, dating and empowerment with uh, Marco's podcast, right? <laughs> well, that was something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I didn't mention, um, well, this has to do with everything in general. I did make an episode on um, dealing with rejection. So not just, of course, not just with dating, but also with business and just life overall. And um, I have to repost that one again because I feel like it could have gotten like, a little bit more views. But yeah, that one's really powerful one. I feel like a lot of people they like they hold back in life because they just fear rejection for some reason the fear of rejection is more powerful than the fear of like 
of not not living it's a full life. It's fucking crazy. I know it's crazy. And I know I, I heard I, people I, say that it originates from like from like primitive times where if you like if you get rejected from like the tribe and and, and if you get left alone, you end up dying because you can't survive on your own. But at the same time, I'm like, we have all the tools and resources to actually, you know, recondition ourselves to just yeah. not fear rejection. Because me as a kid, I used to be terrified of rejection. But, you know, like I said before, it takes years and years. Or for some people, maybe months, because some people may be faster learners than I am, to just recondition their brain to be able to handle rejection, to grow from rejection, instead of letting it suppress you and break you down. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're definitely right. Rejection is does take a little, little bit. And I think that's one thing I noticed with comedy right off the bat, mm-hmm. even though I was never like, you know, I remember even when I went up there and was confident and doing my thing, even when I was years in, there was still always a little bit of like, little tiny bit of question mark. How is this going to go? Now when I go on a comedy stage, there's no question mark. It's like, mm-hmm. I can own this. Let's make it happen. And you know, I remember, and, and that's powerful, bro. I did a dive bar comedy show in Lancaster. People feel it when you do that, man. I, a couple more, sometime last month or two months ago, I don't know, Lancaster, another desert down here, about an hour away, a buddy's dive bar show. I just remember that night, I was like, I'm gonna go up there and just fucking own this shit. I'm gonna, I just, something was in me that night, you know, I was feeling good. And I was like, I'm just gonna give them energy. I'm just gonna, had a great set. And some lady came up to me after. She's like, and I didn't say anything like, I'm going to go up here and own it out loud or anything. Mm-hmm. Lady comes up to me afterwards. She's like, I love the way you just went up there and fucking owned it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> just like that? <laughs> yeah, just like nice. that. And it's like people, you know, or, and there's times, and there's times you got to own it in a way that's going to still be uncomfortable. And a great example of this is, I did the Vegas Veg Fest. Uh, we mentioned this on the last podcast, how I had that weekend, you know, uh, when I went to Cybella's and stuff. Uh, well, when I did the comedy set a couple years ago at Vegas Veg Fest, it was a 35-minute comedy set that was the most awkward comedy set I've ever done and probably will always be one of the most awkward. Mm-hmm. And But at the same time, for 35 minutes, I just stood there and delivered it uh, with at the same time inside thinking like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> here's the reason, here's the problem. Is I was, it was outdoors, beautiful outdoor stage, but uh, it was very hot in Vegas that day. And there was about, I wanna say a hundred foot gap from me to where anybody was sitting in the grass because they didn't wanna sit in the sun. So I can't tell you how awkward it is. And a lot of comics won't ever experience that. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I love about doing these vegan festivals is they're not set up for comedy. When I do comedy, a lot of times I have to make the environment. I did one where a mic cut out on me for 20 minutes. They had a bad mic. Mm. It's comedy set for 20 minutes, and everybody was like, "Bro, I love the way you just powered through that." What mm. else am I gonna do? <laughs> you know, like exactly, yes. So it, it's it, that's what I love, and people don't realize that's one of the reasons why I love doing these comedy environments because a lot of comics can't jump from the comedy scene and do these shows that I'm doing with the the handling it the way I do you know it's very awkward at times and I've had people come up to me the first time I did San Jose a guy came up to me he's like bro what you did did right now was not easy I was off in a corner and I was like I know but no matter what the opportunity is you know I I, I did a one-man comedy show for a uh, city of Atlanta's party uh the mayor and stuff last or two years ago for Christmas and when the caterers after was like just me by myself just walked up there while they're eating and like, what you just did wasn't easy. And I've had a lot of people tell me that in a lot of ways. And it's like, I love that because 
not no offense to that, but it's like, that's why I'm doing it because I'm built to do this, you know? Exactly. Like, and, and that, that levels you up. That makes your confidence more when you know you're doing things that not everybody can do. And it's not an arrogant thing. But as you go, when you go to speak at Google like you do, you got to be better than the average. That's why you're there. <laughs> I was a nervous wreck that day, <laughs> but I still did it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. You're, you know, and that's a big gig, bro. Like, that's Google. That's a heck of a, you know, there's, you know, and being nervous. Let me take a sip of my water real quick. Oh, do your thing. Being nervous is, is good, bro. Like the mm -hmm. very first time I did a spoken word, um, I've been doing more spoken word mm. at an open mic about two years ago. It's an open mic I recited who knows how many hundreds of times in my head or spoken word. And when I first did it, years after doing comedy, I was nervous, but I loved it. I, was, I haven't felt this in a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I did my spoken word at Scottsdale VegFest. I was at a couple weeks ago. Someone put me on the spot and I was like, let's do it. And I remember I watched the video. I'm going to post it. You know, I butchered a few words, but mm -hmm. I remember, like, remember, I guess I know how uneasy I was a little bit because I'm like, man, I've never done this in Arizona. I've never done this in a veg fest out of Cali. Mm -hmm. It was something different. But at the same time, what am I saying? Hey, I've never done this. This is a first. I get to branch, you know, I get to grow right now. So, you know, you have people, like you said, are afraid of rejection. They're afraid of, you know, but those, those, are the moments that make you better. That's where the growth comes from, where you feel uneasy. That's why you just gotta embrace it. And I mean, and look at look at some of the best. Look at what Deontay Wilder had to deal with. You know, that man, you know, still a warrior, you know, he got beat in front of everybody. You know, sometimes people have, you know, but you gotta go own it and get right back to it, man. It's mm -hmm. just same thing with Kobe when he shot his four air balls in the uh, when he was young, like his first or second year four air balls in the playoffs in a crucial game that cost him the game. And what did he do? Went to the gym for the whole day and shot the ball and came out on fire last year. He didn't say, Oh man, I can't do this. Or, you know, I, I don't want to get rejected again. I don't want to shoot another four or five air balls. So to that mindset, he went back and said, I'm not going to, but I'm going to get better. Mm -hmm. So it's crazy. And that's, that's that great mentality we're talking about. Oh, hell yeah. So I love you brought that up because, um, I feel like the current generation, most, a lot of people, they want everything handed to them. They want life in easy mode. Every time they experience any type of hardship, they start complaining and want things done easier way. I'm like, nah. It's like, shit doesn't work that way. You have to adapt, change, and grow. Simple as that. Shit ain't handed to you at all, period, point blank. And when it is, of course, take advantage of it and make the most out of it and be grateful for it. But at the same time, is that doesn't happen often. So whenever trials and tribulation comes, which is pretty often for most people, like I said before, own it, deal with it, adapt, change, grow from it. Simple as that. Just having that type of mindset alone will help you, you know, get back on path on, on, on the path and oh, yeah. prevent you from losing focus in the first place. So like, especially me, I'm self-employed, been self-employed for a large part of the past five, almost six years now. And I faced challenges on a daily basis all the time all of all kinds <laughs> Woo! all over yep. the place especially like when i was like transitioning to different areas like when i started working for myself um working in a different state when i was um when i was living in, in atlanta it's when i had to come back and rebuild from everything and that's just like the big the big the macro challenges but just like micro challenges on a daily basis and not complain about it fuck no I just <laughs> up to it, suck it in, just put in the work, period, point blank. It's just that a lot of people are just, just want things handed to them. I'm like, no, no, yeah. it doesn't work that way. <laughs> period, yeah, point blank. Like, it's just like reality check. Yeah. 
No, you're right. And you know what? It, and going back to something you mentioned and uh, something we were talking about just a little bit ago already, you mentioned a word earlier, conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to touch back on that because people don't realize, okay, very few people are born with conditioning, giving the programming, the conditioning for what they want to do in life. Mm-hmm. Very few people. You know, there's somebody, you know, there was somebody on the planet that could have probably whooped Floyd Mayweather's butt, but they never got into that route that, you know, there's mm-hmm. people missing the boat all kinds. I tell people I missed the boat in a lot of things, the creativity stuff I'm doing, the spoken word and some of the things I'm breaking out here later in life. I didn't do it earlier in life because I had a, my sports dad was everything was sports, you know, mm-hmm. through high school. I come out of high school, you know, like, what do I do? <laughs> I kind of wandered for a bit. Um, but so conditioning is, I, now here's a powerful thing. Uh, do you know who, maybe we've talked about him, I don't know, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton. Do you know who he is? Uh, it's crazy that you brought that up. One of my close friends brought up a conversation on Tuesday. And I, when he so said Bruce he? Lipton, I'm like, the tea guy. Because <laughs> when you think Lipton, you think the tea. So yeah, yes, I do know, but I've heard about him recently. <laughs> so bro, definitely start looking more at Bruce Lipton. Um, Bruce Lipton gave me the biggest light bulb I needed in life. And mm. it kind of was like, why did it take me so long? Why didn't this goes right into programming and conditioning? And, you know, it's very complex, but I'll keep it in a nutshell for how I, so basically, um, you know, I was, my dad, I come, we talked a little bit about ethnicities and stuff. And I come from both sides of my bloodline or bloodlines that come from immigrants who just hustle, you know, came from Ellis Island, you know, were natives and, so I don't come from bloodline who, you know, had money, who were entrepreneurs, who were movers and shakers, basically, you know, mm-hmm. it just wasn't in my blood. And, you know, you got, you know, immigrant parents who were in the South Chicago or, you know, grandparents, stuff that were in the South Chicago area, you know, they were going through hard times and those mm-hmm. things get passed in the DNA, you know. So Bruce Lipton, where he goes with all this, basically is epigenetics. Have you heard that word? Yes. The same friend said that, said that at least five times as well. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, bro, it's a sign. It's a synchronicity. It is. Uh, well, I'm going to take some notes right now as you're, te- as you're speaking. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because I'll touch on the main key things and what really the moment that was powerful for me. Um, because so epigenetics is basically, it's gen- it's the, it goes against the old school thought that our virus, our, sorry, our DNA, our genes control our environment, which mm-hmm. to an extent is true. Air, hair color, some physical traits, things, and yes. But basically, epigenetic states we create our environment, health, everything through our thoughts. Mm. You know, he goes deep into the placebo effect. How is it that someone can heal themselves thinking they're taking a pill? That's the, that's the power of it. So, and he, so now let's think about. First off, let's talk about where Bruce Lipton comes from. This is one of the leading stem cell biologists for years. He's been teaching this stuff for, since the 70s. And he said he used to be in the 70s teaching modern medicine about gene- genetics. Hey, you're at mercy of it. But he's like, I would go in my labs and realize everything I was teaching wasn't true because he was working with stem cells. He was like, and how our environment would dictate our genetics and a lot of it. He's like, if I'm working with a stem cell, he's like, that stem cell is not anything until I give it some kind of medium. He's like, then it becomes a muscle or it becomes a tissue, it becomes a fat, becomes a tendon. He's like, it depends on the environment I give it. So where this really gets uh, deeper, he talks about 
And now I had seen this first already, didn't quite hit me until, I'm not getting too many details and stuff, so, but this ties in, this moment hit me because last year I was going through a very, very frustrating time, mm-hmm. money, financially. Mm-hmm. I worked for a gym owner who, I don't know if you've seen me when I was posting some of the fitness boxing classes I was doing last yeah. year. That guy, I'm gonna say guy, because other words I wanna say, never paid me, mm. only a few bucks. He's one of several gym owners in this area that are just, you know, they are what they are, you know? And yeah. uh, So, and on top of that, I talked to other trainers while I was going through this, him delaying my pay saying, yeah, he didn't pay me either. So I was like, oh, this is a common thing. So I finally just left that gym, walked out and a couple hundred bucks I was owed me. And let me, my, let me mention this, this, this is where it was, you know, very frustrating because I, like we talk, I grind, I do what I got to do. I tell people, I am relentless. And I was still a job back last year. I didn't have a car at that time. So when I got screwed out of this money, I was literally walking four miles to this gym each way in 100 degree, 100 degree heat, 40% humidity at times. And I'm going to stretch those numbers one bit, you know? And, and I was only getting paid 15 an hour, bro. So, <laughs> but I was doing it for other reasons and get, you know, get, you know, still some money, but this and that. But anyway, so I got in payment. I had a contract I started with another uh, one of my other things for wellness. Well, there became a delay on that contract where I didn't get paid for a month and a half from the time I started that contract. And that was the week I found out I wasn't going to be able to get paid for quite some time was like a week after I found out that I couldn't make that money. And when that guy screwed me, I was like, all right, well, I should be getting my money from the new job next week. I was like, I need that. I was already in, you know, you're already in panic mode. Let's, uh, you know, what do you call it? Salvage mode, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of uh, damage control. You're already in damage control. Then you find out that other payment they're supposed to get not coming anytime soon, bro. It created like, it was most stressed. You know, one of my good buddies, you know, he helped me out, you know, for the time being, but Mm -hmm. important thing was this. Now, let me tell people, you mentioned responsibility earlier. Mm -hmm. There's a couple things about, there's a couple key things about this. And one of them is responsibility. Because let me first thing note before I give a little bit more detail, I told friends, I told my mom, I was like, look, I'm frustrated that this money's not in. I got screwed out of the money. But this guy, what I said, ultimately, at my age, why do I not, why is this a stress right now? Why do I not have it in my account to cover it for it to not be a stress until I get paid? So I had, I literally in that situation, even though I was mad, I told people, you know, like, I put the blame on myself in a way, even though it still should have been getting to me. There was still that ultimate fact, Hey, we're 35 years old. What have you been doing with this time? You know? <laughs> so, um, that responsibility, I, I understand you completely. You have to take responsibility. But here's the key thing, bro. In that moment. And this leads me back to Bruce Lipton. And this was the most, and I, and I became so fortunate of this frustration last year of this experience, not getting my money and, uh, having to help, have my friend help me. But anyway, so Bruce Lipton, and I'm sitting there asking myself, what do I got to do? I was literally saying this to myself in my head. I was like, I've never worked so hard in my life and can't get money that I've already earned and put the time in for. I was like, why? When I said that why, that video of Bruce Lipton popped back into my head that I watched the year before. And it was just a snippet. I ended up watching more of this. But it was went back to him. What he was saying was about consciousness and programming. And he said that, look, he's like, the first seven years of our life is when we're given our programming. He's like, because what are you going to be conscious of? He's like, you, he's like, if you look at the Jesuits, he's like, they've been saying for hundreds of years, give me the boy for seven years and I'll show you the man. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, because that's seven years when you're downloading your original programming and consciousness. And he's like, but where is it coming from? He's like, coming from your parents and your environment, what you're watching. And he was like, if you're not, he's like, and this is what got me. He's like, you can be working as hard as you want. He said those specific words. He's like, and not getting where you want to go because you are not conditioned. You are not programmed for that destiny. And it was that moment I realized that no matter how, to, matter how hard I worked, I was not programmed with subconscious that was putting up, I had a frequency mindset about money because that's mm-hmm. what I grew up with. My dad always saying, you know, uh, like the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You already mm-hmm. familiar with that? Oh yeah, and that's one of the first books I ever read outside of school. Yes, it yeah. was like back in like 20, 2008. And it led me to that and Robert Kiyosaki and all mm-hmm. the whole concept behind that and the rich, poor, the poor mindset of saying, hey, we can't afford that or being close, how it shuts off the brain as opposed to people with the uh, rich mindset say, how can I afford that? And I started realizing, so in that moment, I started changing my thoughts. I literally was like, oh shit, I've been thinking all the wrong things because I was thinking about how I'm a product of this environment, how people were saying, hey, there's no money in this desert. But then I was like, wait, look at the job I just landed at the IHP and this other thing. and. Look at the amounts I've been paid. I've been fortunate to have triple digit paydays and a lot of different types of uh, speaking and skills. And those things I had to start saying like, wait a minute, my dad's never done these things. Nobody in my bloodline. It shifted everything in my head, like to where almost having to take a little bit more of an arrogant approach to it, you know, but, and from there on, it has literally been a game changer. I can't tell you the difference has been with money and not having to be as much of a stress um, you know, even I got the car now, you know, that came out of nowhere when my buddy sold me the car, you know, mm-hmm. and so that mindset stuff, that frequency, but like Bruce Lipton said, you have to focus on changing it. Your thoughts have to change. You can't, you know, you have, you know, and that, and so like you're saying, the conditioning has to be changed, mm-hmm. um, to get where we want to go. And it's not easy, but people don't realize those thoughts all day long. The subconscious is not operating 95% of that. So it, that was that epigenetics as one of the most powerful things for anybody watching this for yourself, check it out because it was the game changer I needed in my life, man. Like it was crazy. Oh, hell yeah. So, um, yeah. So from my own experience, like I practiced like epigenetics before I knew it existed. Like I said, before I just found out that it was a name for it because I just called it just redirecting your thoughts, just reconditioning your brain. That's what I called it before. I just didn't know what it was actually called. So uh, I wrote down some notes on my phone. I'm going to check out more of uh, Bruce Lipton's uh, material after that podcast, actually, because I'm going to be like cooking. I can just listen to it at the same time. But yeah, um, I said to take everything you just said. Man, it's... um, like one of the big ones for me is to like the scarcity mindset. A lot of times we just grew up with um, in scarcity. Like for example, it's like my dad, he did really well and had the head of the house and I'm thankful to be able to grow in that situation. But all I really learned from my parents, even though they provided like pretty much everything, all I learned was wake, wake up early, work hard and um, took care of your family and that's it. Those three things, pretty much that's it. Any other skills or anything else, I had to like seek for myself find mentors or other sources to learn and just practice myself through trial and error. But um, just like having the, the ability to like work hard and, um, and wake up early and look out for your family, you don't really, you just, that's all you really know and that's all you do. 
And next, you know, you realize you end up in a cycle of just working and working and working yes. and working, where you're not really growing too much. You're like kind of flatlined, sometimes even decline a bit. But most of the time, you're pretty much flatlined. It's like, is there anything else to do? And like, like you as well is, um, I came from like immigrant families as well, first generation out here. And it's just, we never really had that entrepreneurial mindset, that to, the way to create several sources of income, to create generational wealth, to so just making money besides just working for someone else. And for me, is um, as I grew up sheltered, I was like, I just became rebellious after age 17, 18. I'm like, you know what? Fuck everyone. Fuck everything. Fuck the system. Fuck corporations. Fuck all y'all. I just throwed up like 30 birds all over the place. Just straight up, no filter. And, um, and, <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know what? I don't want to work a traditional job. That's how I started off first. My entrepreneurial path started off from just a rebellious mindset. And it just grew into, into um, expanding financially, then grew into following your passion, then just grew into just being of service to as many people as possible. Actually, it's a combination of all of them, honestly. But yeah, it's a combination of all yeah, of them. It's an evolution. But, um, what's up? Yeah, it's like an evolution. It just. Yeah, exactly. An evolution and then integration. That's yes, yes. That's what I'm learning. And not just evolving, but in, in t integrating as well, because you're not neglecting the past experiences, but because those past experiences actually contributed to who we currently are right now and who we will be in the future, which is pretty much the same thing. But yes. But uh, when I'm, my point here is that it took years of reconditioning through trial and error. But now, nowadays, it's 2020, we have plenty of people with experience where we could help help people like change their perspective, the conditioning a lot sooner. And of course, from there, people need to put in the work themselves. But just knowing the fact that you could recondition your brain at a faster rate can help out so many people. It's crazy. Because if I knew about this 10 years ago, holy shit, oh, we'll know. be doing this interview in the studio and not in this <laughs> empty room. So yeah, in the empty room and no one's renting yet. So yeah. <laughs> no, you know, no, I agree, man. And that's the, evolu that's the thing about evolution, no matter you're always going to be like, oh, I wish I knew this sooner. I wish I, you know, but it, it's a matter, at least we pick it up, you know, le you exactly. know, you got, you know, it's, that's when you know you're evolving. When you say, hey, I wish I would have known this. I wish, you know, it's like every vegan says, I wish I had done it sooner. But, mm -hmm. you know, you find things at the right time and, you know, you, you, but you just, like I say, you keep learning every day. You get better in some sorts. Little checklist I have in my head, you know, where at the end of the day, I'm like, did I get better today? Whether it's, making money at the one or two jobs that I have, you know, because money, yeah, it's not getting better. It, it can't, you know, obviously, you know, like you just said, a studio or something, you know, there's ways money does better opportunities in their overall life and things you can do. Mm -hmm. um, so that to me, you know, if you make money in a day and if I'm making it by cooking for people, then it's a good thing. So did I make money that's going to better my opportunities or being able to make things happen? Did I, you know, get the physical work in for the body? Did I get some reading and, uh, studying in right now I'm studying for my my third cert with NASM my behavior change hmm. specialist so that one I'm really on point with right now because I've only got three weeks and I'm like you know I work well under pressure I guess I like pressure or something mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> I, I, I hear you <laughs> I still haven't finished right the, the yeah I still haven't finished the powerpoint for my uh presentation on Wednesday but like you is like I do way better under pressure like anytime I do any preparation under pressure. Like when I spoke at the Sacramento Veg Fest on February, actually on February, yeah, a month ago, um, I prepared, I was going to say, minutes before I talked. Because it was only going to be a five minutes uh, talk at the time, but I'm like, I've just prepared like minutes ahead of time. I was like, I'm going to talk about this, this, and that, and that's it. Okay. And that's it. I was like, I already know what I was going to talk about. And then um, afterwards, we do q and I'm like, 
just sitting there with my arms up. I'm like, bring it, let's go, bring it, let's go. Like I said before, you gotta own it. You gotta own yeah. it. And of course, like if you'd have told me I would have done that last year, I'd have been a nervous wreck. I'm like, no, it took a lot of work to actually get to that point. So it's uh, like I said before, it's not to be like arrogant. It's just a fact. It's just a living example. It's like me. Like people that knew me from like when I was a kid, they would never expect me to be the person I am right now. I'm like, no, I'll just, just be hiding in my room, fucking playing Pokemon the whole time for like hours and hours and hours. I'm like, no, I'm out there <laughs> making shit happen now. <laughs> yeah, I got make shit happen, man. Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's real quick talk. Okay, so you just went to the Sacramento Veg Fest. I just mm-hmm. recently went to the Scottsdale one. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of talk a little bit about though. I've never been to the Sacramento one. Mm-hmm. Um, so how was that one, man? How was the Sacramento? And it was at the, f- how many times, is, it, is that like a new one? Have they been doing it? They've doing it for about a while, but I think the, the, current, uh, the current team they got running it, they've been doing it for like five or six years now, if I recall correctly. And then, um, but the, the um, like me and my friend, the movement that we're doing, it's more like the diversity of vegans, basically showing people that people of all kinds are capable of you know yes. being vegan, eating a plant-based diet, and just advocating for like the whole movement in general. So um, we've been doing this like three different, yeah, three different uh, events already, and we're planning to expand in SoCal, Portland, Vegas, all over the place. And of course, like I said, whenever in your areas to just to just uh, come through and join, yeah, join exactly. the, and join the uh, join the panel. But uh, but yeah, it's um it was cool. Honestly, I've been to like hella vegan events, and after a while, they're like kind of the same but at the same time the people we meet are always different the experience is always different yeah. people you interact yeah. with are always different and of course kind of like the food's hell of them all the time so yeah oh, <laughs> different yeah. kinds all the time so um and i got to uh, meet up with a few friends i haven't seen in a while and yeah it was it was great but um one of the main things that, that i realized is that was the biggest room i've ever spoken i think that was even bigger well google i think it was like about 40, 50 people. SFH Fest was about the same. This one's about like 60 or 70 and like 75% of the room was filled up. I'm like, yo, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, fun. yeah. and then uh, people were asking a lot of questions too. And I was like, just bring them, bring them, just keep it coming. So yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah, and of course, like just giving people like a different insight than what they're accustomed to because a lot of times people are used to like the angry vegan stereotype. I'm like, put the emotion aside like keep a like a neutral perspective just listen before you speak a lot of times when you interrupt people you just create conflict but when you listen you get to hear what people are more concerned about that way you could say in a in a tone and also in a manner where people are more open to listen to the message instead of realizing it like how they usually do so um i'm trying to say is it's great to be passionate but don't let your emotions get in the way when delivering a message yes active listening listening. Mm -hmm, exactly basic communication skills when I was selling cars, I had to really learn that, you know, um, you know, and then uh, there's something I was just going to ask that was, oh, man, I set my thought because, oh, okay, question I want to ask you. I don't know. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, this starting to come in my head. I'm wondering if any other, you know, vegans have noticed it. Do you? And I, so I've been to Albuquerque and Nevada mm-hmm. and Arizona now. Have you noticed a little bit of arrogance kind of starting with the California vegan scene? At all oh hell yeah! That's why I just said what I just said right now is is the Halloweens need to calm down and listen more and they speak because they're just busy trying to just force a message instead of trying to deliver in a way where people can listen. It defeats the purpose. You're running off of ego instead of compassion. They're basically not being fucking vegans because they're not listening. The main aspect of veganism is compassion. If you're not seeing things from another other person's perspective, you're not delivering the message properly. Period. Point blank. 
Simple no, yeah, <laughs> I, I completely agree. And, you know, one thing that I started seeing with, and I don't knock activists, everybody's doing their part. Not everybody has the time to get out on the street, you know, uh, not someone that lives in the, I think we may have talked about this on the last one, maybe someone who lives in a weird area that's not around a bunch of vegans. Mm-hmm. They can't, you know, what kind of scene do they got to get out there? Everybody's at a, and this is what, and here's the key, we mentioned evolution. Here's the weird thing I thought about with evolution. With people, a lot of times when people start evolving, they forget that the world is not evolved to their level. Mm-hmm. They forget that you were not on this, you know, like we talked about last time I, when I'm on Facebook and I see the Facebook memories, how much I've changed, you know? So mm-hmm. I wasn't at this position before. I didn't see, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, I would have been the person not seeing it from the vegan side. Here I am, vegan, cooking, you know, like, so is people don't realize as you evolve, you've got to remember and understand that everybody's not at your evolution, you know? Mm-hmm. So the one thing that has bothered me the most from the activist scene, it's not all of them, is when I see this thing, you've probably seen it yourself, you're up there more in the hotbed with the activists. I'm in the very middle of it, yeah. I'm like two miles away from Berkeley, so yes. I'm like- <laughs> you're, in the, yeah. yes. you're in the Mecca. I'm in Oakland, Berkeley, yes. So I'm literally on it. <laughs> so I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about with this mm-hmm. saying. If you're vegan, you're doing bare minimum. I'm sure you've seen that. If you're mm-hmm. not, have you seen them say that? I've had, and to an extent, I do, uh, do agree with it. But at the same time, the way to deliver the message is what irks me a bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Because don't tell, don't put that, everybody has their own way of doing something. Again, everybody has their own point of evolution, even within veganism. I'm not the same as I was 11 years ago, eating all that processed stuff and not really whole foods, plant-based. But so every, you know, you can't sit there and tell someone that just went vegan and may not have a, I might have broke the grain from when it gets the grain in their area, stepped out the box and feels good. And they see an activist post, hey, you're doing bare minimum and get discouraged or feel not as good about it. You know, and you said also a little bit ago, you like to take a talk and give a different approach. You know, same mm-hmm. thing, too. I don't want to be the same guy talking about factory farming. So the few opportunities that I've got to speak, like when I was in Rancho in October, I've, ca- I've started speaking on the angle of, I call it be the light, save the planet, talking about your own evolution and how as you grow, your light becomes more contagious. And I talked about, you know, leading by example mm-hmm. and touching on the fact that we can't div- create division, you know, it, within the movement, how we can't knock other people. I'm not on the street with a sign, but guess what? I'm in a kitchen, you know, giving people food, not showing them the food. Hey, here's what I eat. Here, eat it for yourself. Oh my God, that's delicious. I know. So, you know, there's all kinds of forms of activism. And, you know, so that's what starts to bother me a little bit with the movement. You know, everybody's doing the role. Not one single area of the movement is responsible mm-hmm. for the growth. You know, documentaries, activists, uh, people. A lot of times people find veganism on their own accord. Do you know Vegan Monk from up in your area? Oh, hell yeah. I live two miles away. I go there at least once a week. But of course not right now. I'm coming home food plant-based. Like no processes, but yes, of course. <laughs> Wait, you said is it a place or the vegan mob is a restaurant that just blew no, up on roller? There's a guy out in the bay that goes by Vegan Monk, Joe. Oh Monk, oh Monk, oh Monk, yeah, yeah. I know him. Yeah, I've spoken with him a few times before. I thought you said Vegan Mob, no. Yeah. But, uh, vegan, uh, Monk, yes. He's yeah, a great man. Yeah. Shout out to Monk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he like look, Monk, his story is great. He found veganism by just randomly meditating and his own evolution. He found it mm-hmm. within. That's how I found mine within. And I was talking to a speaker in Arizona, shout out Sid Garza. I actually want to give him a shout out. Are you familiar with the Stanford Inn up there? It's an all vegan resort. 
I've heard of it. I've seen like people post about it online, but I don't know much about it. Yeah, so Sid Garza, he's the main nutritionist up there, and mm. uh, it's a full-on vegan resort. And I got to, I introduced him in the San Francisco Veg Fest when I was there two years ago. Mm. He happened to be out in Scottsdale, and we had some nice talks. He gave me one of his nutrition books, so that was cool. And you know, we were talking a lot about this, about the uh, the arrogance of it, or the I forget where we're going with all this, but <laughs> why I brought him up specifically. But you know, we had this talk too about you know, the militant ones. And mm -hmm. uh, even when they go out to the resort up there, some of them are really hardcore, but you know, is everybody finds their own accord. Mm -hmm. um, oh, he was talking about that in his speech about how the chances of stopping someone to talk to them at their moment of change, you know, is very little. I'm dealing with that in my behavior change, sir. There's all mm -hmm. kinds of stages of change, pre-contemplative, contemplative, ready to go, you know? So is, and here's the thing, when I talked in my speech, I summed it up with a quote that I love, and it's called, uh, it's called Lighthouses, because that was the overall sum of my speech, you know, lead by example. I've had friends, 68-year-old buddy, I was like, hey, I'm going to go vegetarian because of you. You inspire me. I'm like, what? Never had a conversation with him. Cool. Um, because I told him that's the most powerful form is lead by example. And the quote that I ended it with was by Anne Lamott, which is a, it's called Lighthouses. And this is, to me, how we should be. It says, lighthouses don't go running all over an island looking for boats to save. Mm -hmm. They just stand there shining. You know, it's a, hey, here's the light. If you want it, come near it. And if you don't, stay the fuck away, <laughs> whatever it is, yeah. you know? So, and that's how we got to be, man. Like everybody's doing their parts, props to the activists, everybody out there, but everybody's got to understand not everybody's role is the same. Not everybody's as confident to get out there in the street, whatever it is, you know, but we're all doing our part. Even if you're the first day vegan, hey man, you made a step. You're going to eliminate a couple animals' lives, you know, from being slaughtered and this and that. So, you know, and, it's, and it sucks because we see it growing. Or one more example is, oh yeah, do you see how Starbucks is going to do away with the dairy-free? Mm -hmm. Or going to go dairy-free, going to do away with the dairy. Yeah, I've heard about that. Well, I posted this link about it and this and sometimes I start to think what are we working for like then if because vegans are always pissed off about something because I, uh, one of the girls responds and I think it was like the activist type and she goes on to say yeah but Starbucks they work with Nestle and this and that and how they have all these bad practices but I'm like oh and I had to reply I was like look I'm not I'm not gonna say I'm gonna support them either I don't at the moment I'm not gonna go to Starbucks now but what I told her was like Look, as vegans, we're always trying to grow the movement. We're always trying to get some progression. Mm -hmm. And here's the, one of the biggest corporations on the planet using some of the most amount of dairy anywhere. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, we're going to get rid of dairy. And you have a problem with it. What? What? <laughs> uh, that's what? a whole other story. Because um, in a nutshell, a lot of people, they just... They have deep-rooted anger, and that's how they express it. And on top of that, they just want attention, and they just get easily triggered by everything, and they always seek it on Facebook. That's why I stay away from Facebook, honestly. <laughs> I minimize my interaction on Facebook for that reason. I'm like, it's not so necessary. I don't want that. And it's just, oh, and it's people make too many emotionally, emotionally driven decisions. They become mm -hmm. irrational, and even when it is something that they support, they just find a reason to just create more conflict because that, that's, their, their, that's what they're accustomed to, accustomed to. They're accustomed to just disrupting instead of communicating. So, so I know, again, we respect the, the, the hustle, the work, the intentions of activists, but at the same time, when you disrupt instead of communicate, 
it just creates more conflict and it defeats the purpose of delivering yeah. the message in the first place. So uh, another thing too I did want to mention is, yes, I agree 120 billion percent about living by example, but at the same time, um, re-educating is a massive part in just providing yeah. a different perspective. Because um, <clears throat> that's why I do mention a lot about factory farming. It is the biggest contributor to all, pretty much most of the destruction going on in the world right now. And it's just people need to be aware of that. A lot of people just see the convenience of the food in the grocery store and that is it. Uh, and of course, like being the top of the food chain is going to the grocery store and buying shit, which makes zero sense. But um, my point right. is that we have to realize that all the destruction going on, all the dead zones being created in the ocean from the waste from the animals, all the billions of animals, animals being killed, the diseases are being created well, from the manufacturing and the consumption of these, of these animals and the byproducts is realizing that a lot of people aren't aware of it or they need to hear it another five times before they make a decision. And at the same time, like you were saying before, is they need to hear it when the, when the ears are open to hearing this information. That's why I usually only mention this during podcasts because people are already listening and not really like on Instagram posts. Well, yeah. like an actual direct post. But, or sometimes I post something on, on, on stories where people are already more open to listening to it. And of course, I'll bring it up during conversations when the time is right or even asking people if they're open to actually hearing about it in the first place. Because when you yeah. ask permission if they want to hear a message, guess what? They're going to be all ears. They're going to listen to it. And of course, answering any questions they may have with an emotional attachment that way they're more open to ask the right questions and actually consider making decisions based off an educated educated this uh they're more open to making more educated decisions because they have a different perspective they have a different perspective to make decisions from there we go yeah no you're right you're right it mm -hmm. is and then you still get the people that uh, still want to see it the way they want to see it, man. Yeah, yeah. like you said, we're just being flashlights. No, we're being a not flashlights. We're being a we're being a, um, not a lighthouse. lighthouse. We're being yeah, lighthouses, lighthouse. not flashlights. Light we're a flashlight. Too, light post too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just starting out. You might be light post, but yeah, no, it's you know, and it, and, and it's just weird how people take information online. You know, it's it. We're in an age of, you know, like I said, like with evolution, people having their opinions at their point of evolution that people in general just don't online don't know how to take other people's opinions or without getting so disruptive or you know what I noticed real quick because um, we were talking about the the vegans kind of especially you know the Berkeley area how they tend to, to attack a lot I saw something interesting a couple years ago on Facebook mm -hmm. that wasn't even anything to do with veganism but how they're still looking to attack everything. I'm gonna keep this in a nutshell because it was a couple of days of just crazy BS on Facebook, but it exposed me to that mindset of people just wanting to hawk on and attack things because, okay, I live, we talk about where I live, you know, mm -hmm. it's a weird area, lots of drug use, lots of homelessness and stuff. And one day I was going down this old Walmart area. This, it's an old Walmart that they built new ones, so it's abandoned, homeless people sleep in front of it. And I'm driving by this street and there's this weird yard sale going on on the sidewalk. And it was a air conditioner, power wheels, and some random barber chair. Mm -hmm. Some weird people. So total like tweakers, but you know, like it really was. It was that's what they wore. I know the area. So I didn't know that using the word crackhead was going to start a three-day shitstorm on Facebook, bro. Like I had no idea, but it got weird. Like mm. for one. 
for one, I never shouted crackhead at these people. I was in my phone. I was like, just video, like, hey, we're coming up on a crackhead yard sale. Welcome to the high desert. That's what I said, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was in my car, just shouting. The people were way far away from the car. I wouldn't shout at them. Um, but even then, like, this was back when I used to ride my bikes, and I would talk to some of these people, give them money, so I'm not bashing, you know? Like, you know, so anyway, next thing you know, I get a couple people thank you. Crap, we're using the word crackhead, breaking it down. Do you know what that word means? So over the next couple of days, I got attacked like hardcore from people calling me a piece of shit. Oh, this and literally, and I wasn't like attacking any of these people. So they were talking smack, like you're a piece of shit. One girl told me to enjoy my white privilege hmm. when. She's living in one of the most extensive areas of California. Like, I'm half Mexican. She mocked me for being half Mexican. Oh, you're starting to cut off a bit. Hello? Oh, man. Yo. Hmm. Let me check this part out. Yo, hey Matthew, you're cutting off right now. You had to move my laptop closer to the charger because the battery was dying. Yeah. And I know you're going in on the story. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. No worries. Are you can hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Cut off because that's going to be much longer that way if your battery. Oh no, I charged it right now. That's why I was moving around. All right, boom! I made it work. All right, you good? Hello? Okay, you good? Oh yeah, cool, that was good. <laughs> All right, yeah, I have to edit that part. But yeah, um, you, you're saying crackhead and they're giving you shit about it. So basically, the point of all this was, and my main, and the, here's the thing, the key thing to all this was everybody that gave me shit about it was like from that area up north. Nobody from my area, mm-hmm. everybody from my area came to defense. But those people were like, you guys don't know this area. You don't know what it's like. People were like, my brother's a crackhead and this is the kind of stuff he does. Like people, you know, from out of area, they think we're making fun, but they don't understand what it's like to live here. We have to make fun of this place. This is stuff we deal with on an everyday basis, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I worked at a nonprofit helping homeless people, talking to them, getting their stories. Like, you don't, you know, they're sitting there just thinking, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. But it's like, and here's the crazy thing, bro. This is to the extent one of the girls went to, to make it sound like I was such a shit person. One of the girls who was from, like, Santa Clara mm-hmm. writes me, telling me how that hurts people, that causes pain, and I was like, look, no, it doesn't. Stop saying that. Nobody in my video heard anything. I was in my car. Don't tell me what happened in my video when you're damn near another state away. You know what she decides to tell me? I can't even believe, every time I have to tell this, I can't even believe I'm saying it. She's like, no, that's not the case because the person that you record, I'm not even making this up, bro. The person who was in that video that you took recordings of got a hold of me to tell me and let me know. Dude, I was like reading it like, Hold the book. No, she's not saying this. <laughs> oh my god! These kids are getting out of hand. Oh my god! I'm saying this, and I'm like, what? 
Dude, instead of just accepting and just stop talking or letting it be, you gotta go and fabricate some crazy shit. And I even told her when she, she was like, they wrote me to say it that you told them about it. I was like, I wrote her back. I was like, hold the fuck up now. I was like, whoa. I was like, you just went that route to make, I was like, you and I both know that is absolutely not true. I was like, you weren't there. Nobody outside that view could have heard me. And I was like, you're going to tell me, I was like, you live up north. You have no mutual friends. I was like, you mean to tell me that I posted this video. They somehow see it. Oh, that's random. Instead of writing me to say, hey, why are you talking shit about me? They contact you because they happen to know you up there to write you and say something. And I was like, and she's like, I used to live down there. I was like, what street did you live on? What streets? Tell me what streets you lived on. I don't have to tell you. You insulted me. What? If you, lived, <laughs> if you actually lived out here, if I was me, I would have gave you the streets, the how all the here's the hammer, boom. But no. And that I couldn't believe. So that was I'm I'm sure and I'm sure you deal with it a little bit. You're out there with it. and I was like, whoa, this is the extent that a lot of that activism got to. It's delusional shit. So Bro, that was weird. Like every time I say that, it brings back. It's like PSTD I'm getting from that three day. <laughs> crazy, dude. But it's the world we live in now, man. Everybody just has their opinions and they can't accept others, you know? Like it's weird. It's like it's like they're my truth is the only truth, and that's it. Arr! I'm like, we gotta be open to, to hear other people's perspectives. Especially living here in the Bay Area or like anywhere in California where it's a very um diverse group of people. And we're going to realize that a lot of people are going to think very differently because that's one reason why I don't talk about like politics or religion much at all. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. you don't want to hear my perspective period point blank. So um, <laughs> yeah, cause I'm like, it's, it's not the same as yours. It's not because it's good or bad. It's because it's not the same as yours and you're not going to take that lightly. Simple as that. It's a lot of people are not emotionally prepared to hear that shit. So I'm like, you ain't ready. Let's talk about something else. Simple as that. I would imagine. I would imagine your political statement is pretty much leave me the heck alone. Let me do my thing. Like let me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Same as mine. Let me just... Yes. It'll like don't, don't don't point fingers and just adapt to changes. That's it. Yeah. yeah. All the laws. All the laws that are, I'm like I'm not gonna kill anybody. Like, I don't need laws. I'm not gonna do anything. Like you know like. It's, right. I just whoever the you and I have. You're how old again? You're in your thirties, right? Or not quite yet? I'm thirty. Yes, yeah, so you're thirty. So we both lived enough to know that it doesn't matter what politician gets up there, nothing mm-hmm. changes, nothing is the same. You got super delegates that can block on the, on the democratic, democratic side, super delegates who can block the president. Like if the people can elect Bernie Sanders for the, to run and they could say, nope, we want this guy, Joe Biden, you know? You, yeah. this, and the electoral college, no, you know? Yeah, it's all just all made. And here's a real good, I know we're not Tom politics, but here's the funny thing. Mm-hmm. The real reason why the Electoral College was created mm-hmm. was because the founding fathers did not think this average human, average person, was smart enough to pick a president. That's why they created it. Yet, what do they do? Your vote counts. No, it doesn't. That's, <laughs> you made a system to make it not count and give me the illusion that it does. Like, it's wild. So I know exactly. I mean, I... Your views aren't weird to me, but <laughs> I know oh, what you're so. saying. <laughs> but to well, other people. We're putting it out there and open, but it's all good. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, regardless of what happens, is I mean, it happened four years ago, it happened eight years ago, it happened 12 years ago, it happened 16 years ago, it happens every four years. We survive, everything's fine, we'll adapt, we'll change. And to bring everything full circle, just focus on what you're doing right now, 
Don't let the external factors distract you and let's make this grow as people individually and together. Simple as that. And stay focused. <laughs> and stay focused and, uh, and yeah, and fuck the system. <laughs> yeah, fuck the system. <laughs> And your focus is harder. It's so much harder to now with the phones, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, let, me, and let me mention one thing from for sure about the wrap up here um, is real quick is the thing about focus is sometimes knowing your own. Okay, like I've had fun with focus in the past because when I was a kid, ADD wasn't like a thing. It wasn't labeled. But if it would have been, I definitely probably would have been labeled with it. Like I was there was times I didn't even sit in the classroom. I was outside in the library by myself because I was talking <laughs> always had an overactive brain, you know, and it's hard to shut off sometimes. And um, I realized something years ago, I was, several years back, I was doing some comedy writing. Mm -hmm. And I was in the zone writing, zone, boom, boom, boom. And with a snap of the fingers, my brain decided, my subconscious decided to say, hey, screw this writing and go down to the opposite end of the paper, of the corner, and just start doodling random nothing stuff. And I'm like, and I actually had to stop myself. I caught myself. I was aware of it. Mm -hmm. Awareness is a superpower. I was like, what the fuck did I just do that for? Like, how, why? It made me actually start thinking about how my brain works and looking into the ADD and realizing, okay, I fit these traits. Not that it's a bad thing, but just understanding, because all to me it is. I mean, it's an active brain. You think a lot. You, mm -hmm. you know, like, and which is you just got to learn how to harness that. So it made me realize, okay, I have a focus problem that's subconsciously built in. So I have to work with that. So that's another key thing I did want to mention about focus is, you know, knowing yourself, your, your traits, your habit, things in our bloodline, you know, mm -hmm. will, will dictate a lot of wealth. You have to know yourself and traits and to, in order to be focused and know what to focus on, you know? And mm -hmm. so that that's key thing there too, is, and not getting frustrated and if, you do have certain disorder, you know, I don't say disorder like ADD or something, but knowing that all, those aren't detrimental, that you can harness those mm -hmm. in the right. It just, you tend to be more focused when you really love to do what you do. You know? If anything, they're a gift. It's just yes. that a lot of times we're not taught how to manage or how to harness this power, this gift. And instead of, you know, embracing people and helping them use their best abilities, here, take this pill and take this one and take this one they suppress them instead i'm like yo like i said fuck the system but yeah let's not suppress people is just bring them up let's not blame other people just bring ourselves up and take responsibility yes yep. yeah confidence <laughs> focus and responsibility yes exactly Whew. man <laughs> this is awesome this was awesome we're going deeper and deeper. <laughs> Intensity went up too. I felt it too. I'm like, oh, like, well, it's yeah. great though. It's like, it's like uh, we're passionate about what we do. We're passionate about how we live life. We're passionate about fucking everything. And we just let out there unfiltered and it's great. And some people will love it. Some people will question it and high five to both of you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know and of course we'll have, we'll have uh, 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 like if, we, if people want to talk about these topics in depth, Let's have a nice, solid conversation about it. And yeah. And let me say this real quick, too, is when you love what you do, when you operate like we do, people mm -hmm. feel it. It's why you get clients. It's why you get them coming back. Why you get to speak at places like Google. You know, I had a couple examples recently that really took me back in my cooking classes. I had a lady as I was sending out uh, samples for food. She comes often. Mm -hmm. And I was setting samples. I don't, I'm just setting samples. It wasn't even a moment of cooking. And she mm -hmm. just out loud, she was like, you really love what you do, don't you? 
And I was like, yeah, I do. Is the show that much? And she was like, yeah. And then there's a guy that comes in. Uh, it's an older couple, him and his, his boyfriend. They're like in the 50s. I met them before in the center when I was doing a class for my nonprofit, and they really liked me. So they come to the cooking classes. And Les, the guy that made this comment, he has like a, he had some kind of surgery. So it throws off his eating. So a lot of times he won't like what I eat, you know, but he's mm-hmm. still come. But one day out of nowhere, last week, he was like, hey, everybody, I just want you to know that this guy is everything that he says he is. He was like, at first I thought he might be full of crap. <laughs> he's like, but he's like, I'm on his Facebook and he lives the life he says in here. He's out at the vegan festivals doing his thing, meeting these people, learning how to cook. He's like, oh, he's got great energy in here and out there. And, you know, this guy is, and it's, it's just taking me back in there lately. Like when you operate with that intensity of loving what you do, it's crazy how it just, people gravitate towards it and they feel it you know and so it's it's powerful stuff man we become magnetic yeah yeah that's yeah. pretty much what it is that, yeah we just attract the right people exactly <laughs> the lighthouse we let the way yeah, yeah the next is. you know more lighthouse pop up it's like yeah. they become a lighthouse themselves too so yeah exactly yeah awesome cool so matthew thank you again for the awesome yeah, conversation being back on the podcast on the part two and um of course you can find um I'll put the, your social media links so people can reach out to you and see your, your posts, your content, where you're speaking next or wherever you're going to do any cooking demos and um, out in your area. And yeah, just thank you again and just continue doing what you're doing and sharing your great stories as always. And man, it's been, been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Another great talk. Got deep again and mm-hmm. uh, definitely love to do it down the road again. And mm-hmm. uh, to everybody listen, keep listening to this man's podcast, doing great things. Keep doing what you're doing up there and the northern side i'll hold it down here on the south side and we'll uh, we'll meet up soon it's funny we still haven't met in person yet but we will <laughs> so speaking of that so um i was looking at plane tickets a few days ago i'm like damn i haven't done a trip since like august when i was out in portland and um so i'll probably be i'll probably go to either san diego or la maybe like around may okay. may or june and cool, cool. i'll let you know Definitely. which one i go to and um We'll, I'll be hella down to meet up and maybe even record a part three like on my phone or something like that <laughs> or, yeah, or do yeah, something like it'd be on Instagram but something yeah yeah definitely but, yeah I might be in that area I got some friends that are from BC that travel country accrued a uh, couple that were at the Scottsdale and they're doing mm-hmm. a run through actually they're doing a run through San Diego then they go to San Francisco every mm-hmm. year so I'll there, there's gonna be a few months coming up they're gonna be in San Diego so I intend to meet up with them as well so you know, might be able to all sync up. So we'll get it figured out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, and of course the listeners, thank you for listening. And as always like subscribe, share with 20,000 friends, share with everyone. And, um, if you have feedback or want me to include certain guests, talk about certain topics, feel free to DM me on Instagram at empower with Marcos. And if you listen to last week's episode, you know that we are launching the online coaching program for plant-based strength nutrition this Thursday. So we're taking the first 10 people, 10 people at a discounted rate. Let me know ASAP because it's only, it's very limited and it's possible to fill up like this. I just set my fingers like that quickly. And of course, there's always new episodes on Monday and make sure to follow the homie um, Matthew on Instagram at Indigo Mateo, right? Yep. Indigo underscore Mateo. Yeah. I'll vegan put the link. Power, go vegan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, thank you guys for listening again and catch you guys next week. Peace.